Welcome to the Generation BSC End of Summer Rewatch of Season 1 of the Babysitter's Club series on Netflix. For the next few weeks, watch along with us and revisit our thoughts on the series before Season 2 drops this October. We'll be back in the fall with our own Season 2 as well and can't wait to catch up with you all then. In the meantime, keep your eye on our social media for updates, and don't forget to email, DM, comment, or reach out. We love to hear from you all. See you this fall! Hi! I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC, the podcast where we explore the Babysitter's Club, what it means to us then, what it means to us now, and what it means for hopefully the future. And part of that future we're so excited to be talking about because we are still talking about the Netflix series for a whole new generation of BSC girls and boys and non-binaries. Um, so Kate, why don't you tell us what episode we're up to of our summer miniseries? So we are talking about episode six of the series, which is Claudia and me and Janine. Um, as everyone might remember, this is actually book seven of the book series, um, as opposed to six, which is a, <laughs> it turned into an episode later in this first season, which we will talk about in a few weeks. But Claudia and me and Janine is the book where, and the episode where, um, Claudia and Janine have some difficulties as sisters because they are completely different. They look at the world in different ways. Janine's a genius. Claudia likes art. <laughs> and they're fighting. <laughs> it's like what, quite the dichotomy, obviously, polar opposites. But it uh, results, their disagreements culminate in a fight where Mimi gets very upset and ends up having a stroke and ending up in the hospital. And, you know, Claudia has to deal with what that means. And in the episode of the show, um, it means sort of different things and Janine being there for her in different ways. But, you know, we've, we reached the end of the episode and the book with them having a little bit more understanding of each other and seeing things from each other's point of view and hopefully improving their relationship going forward. Although from the books, we know that they have some backsliding occasionally. <laughs> And the most important news, Mimi comes home. We can't forget. Yes, that is true. we were very concerned about Mimi, um, as as everyone was. Uh, I think that was one of my favorite things about this episode was really seeing how it wasn't just Claudia and Janine and, and the Kishis that were worried about Mimi, but really mm -hmm. seeing how much she means to to all of the, the BSC and their family. Um, I thought that was a really nice touch. I thought that was really beautiful. Yeah, I agree. In the book, they definitely, I, I mean, you can tell that they care, but it's sort of nice the way that we get that in the episode, for sure, because we've got Edie and Richard, sorry, Liz and Richard <laughs> coming over, <laughs> bringing food. You know, the the kids all come over, you know, Stacy's already there hanging out with Claudia, Marianne and Christy come with their moms, or not their moms, with their mom and their dad. <laughs> Richard is not a mom. Um, And, you know, a couple of Christy's siblings are there and they decide, oh, we got to call Dawn too because she has to be here. And it's just like a big family dinner and everyone's sort of worried and wanting to take care of the Kishis. And when Mimi does come home, it's, you know, the, there's a babysitter's club meeting and all the girls come over and they're all so excited and giving her hugs. And they're so distracted that even Christy forgets that the babysitter's club meeting is supposed to start until the phone start ringing, starts ringing and she has to run upstairs to answer it. And they all are sort of frantic. And it's, it's, a, it's a really nice moment at the end of the episode for sure. You know what's funny about that moment? Because uh, I, I 
called that out too is that I, to that point, had forgotten about babysitting. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, we haven't talked about babysitting at all in this episode. Um, and I oh, thought that was true. a really nice, um, like, call back to us too to remind oh this is a babysitting show like we had we had a serious moment but now let's get back into business <laughs> yeah honestly i didn't even think about it like yes they had a babysitters club meeting but the fact that there wasn't even any babysitting in this episode like completely didn't even think about that even when they were at the babysitters yeah. club meeting that's a good point <laughs> the the closest they came to talking about the like world of the club is when Claudia talks about how it was Mrs. Johansson, because now she's her art teacher, that got right. her into this art um, exhibit or contest. It's not really a contest. It's um, an art show, but there are judges. I mean, yeah. I guess an art show would have and, judges for, like, you know, prizes and recognition, but, yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not that kind of artist, so I would never even think to do an art show, let alone know how that they, how they would work. <laughs> Exactly. Let's dive in and start talking about some of our big ideas. And I, I think for me, this one, um, as is often the case with me and the Babysitter's Club um, world <laughs> or books or episodes, it's often things that I don't really expect to that sort of um, sneak up underneath me and really kind of take my breath away. Um, and this one I had a – especially the second time that I watched it through, I had a really emotional reaction to this one. Mm-hmm. Because, um, as you mentioned in your summary, a, a big part of this episode is about the disconnect between Claudia and Janine. Um, but this time through, I was really paying a lot more attention to how between Claudia and Janine and Mimi, our, our real focus, the triad of them, this episode, each of them have moments of feeling completely disconnected, completely left out, completely on their own, um, even as they are supposed to be part of this family. And that to me resonated really emotionally. Um, I've talked about my family a little bit here and there and I, I love them dearly. We're, we're very close, but I do have a bit of a complicated relationship with them because I feel isolated and disconnected from them in certain ways. And so that in, was incredibly resonant for me. Um, and, and surprisingly enough for someone who wanted to be a Claudia growing up, the moment that, um, really struck me most, but I'm getting choked up just thinking about it now. Um, was the scene at when we were talking about what a lovely moment it was when the entire babysitters club came and rallied around Claudia. But then you see Janine at the table and she's looking around at all these people who are here for Claudia and she Mm -hmm. just feels so lost and alone. And it just broke my heart because that is a feeling I know very well. And, um, Oh, it just, it hurt my heart for me. And then, so I was really starting to think about that. I was starting to uh, empathize more with Janine in, in this situation. And then we got to the hospital with Mimi. You see them in the hospital and they're trying to communicate with Mimi and she's not understanding. And you see her um, get so frustrated and, and eventually you see her shut down. Like they're talking mm-hmm. and you see her just turned away and depressed. And um, I just, I realized, oh my gosh, in, it never occurred to me to think about what Mimi was going through mm-hmm. in, um, when we were talking about the book and that was just such a beautiful moment of of realizing how isolating that must feel for her to not be able to communicate with the people that she loves to um feel completely isolated and alone in that moment and um i, I haven't touched on the claudia feeling left out because that's the big obvious part mm-hmm. of it that's what we talked about when we talked about this the first time with the book um so i was really like I said, it it kind of snuck up on me when I was watching through this time just how emotional I was. Um, we joked that we needed to have a cry scale on this podcast for like how, <laughs> how much the episodes made us cry. And um, 
uh, this would have gotten a like 14 out of 10. I was just, I was a hot mess by the end of it. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to know, um, if that struck out for you as much, if this, if it had much of an impact for you and, or if you took away different things. No, I, I mean, it definitely was something that resonated with me. Um, obviously, maybe not obviously to everyone, but obviously to you. Um, I don't have that same kind of relationship with my family. So I've, I've never really had those feelings personally that I've, had to grapple with. Um, but that being said, it definitely was one of the more emotional episodes of the show for me. Just, you know, sort of watching Janine, especially the second time I watched it, you really do see her express emotions in a way that's obviously very different than Claudia. And Claudia is very big and reactionary and you she, you know, she wears her heart on her sleeve. If she's upset, you know that she's going to express it. And it's very clear if she's happy, if she's sad, you know, it's out there. It's on her face. It's in the way that she's acting. And because Janine is so reserved consistently, when she's upset or hurt, it's a much smaller reaction. And it doesn't necessarily seem like that really is caught by Claudia in the moment. You know, mm-hmm. she when she's when they're fighting with each other, there's a few times throughout the episode where they sort of snipe at each other or Claudia snipes at Janine and you know, she she says these sort of cutting things and doesn't really think about the fact that Janine is going to be hurt by them. I think I mean there's a part in the episode where, you know, she basically says she asks Janine if she even has feelings. And that mm-hmm. resonated I, with me because I have like as much as I am a Marianne and I am very like emotional, there are there have been people in my life that I'm maybe not as obvious with. You know, I'm I'm they're not the the mm-hmm. right kind of person in my life and there have been a few times where people have sort of been like you know, what, do you not have emotions? Like, what is the deal? And and that really hurts because I know how much, how emotional I am. And even if it's not always on my sleeve, the way that it might be with Claudia or Marianne, um, having someone ask you if you are a robot or if you have any emotions or if you feel anything is a terrible thing to ask anyone, regardless of whether you think that they do have feelings. I mean, I'm sure that on some level, you know, sociopaths, maybe not something that they're as concerned about. But like asking someone if they even have feelings is such a terrible thing. And I think that's what I reacted to the most was seeing the mm-hmm. the way that and I can't remember I can't remember off the top of my head what the the name of the actress is that portrays um Janine. But in those moments where she's clearly being hurt by Claudia, she does such an amazing job of having those tiny reactions. You can see it in her face and in her eyes, but you have to kind of look at for it because I definitely didn't notice it quite as clearly the first time I watched this episode and seeing her reactions, watching it again to, you know, take notes and be a little bit more focused so we could talk about it. It really, really struck home. And I think that's the thing that most struck with, stuck with me. Obviously seeing the, the Mimi situation also, I think is a really interesting thing because yeah, when we talked about the book, Janine and Mimi in particular were like an afterthought. Like it didn't really matter because it Mm -hmm. was Claudia's. And because we're seeing it in a visual medium, we get the opportunity to see things that you might not necessarily be able to express in a, you know, a a children's book that's being narrated by one of the characters who's in that triad and you can't really get all the perspectives. So I think that that was really, really well done and something I really loved getting to see watching this. I am so completely on board with that take on Janine. Um, 
Aya Furukawa, who plays her. Um, I, I just looked her up. I did not know that off the top of my head, so don't feel bad. <laughs> I was going to say, um, that is super impressive if you pulled that out of your brain. Yeah. No. I, my uh, my IMDb skills are top notch. No. Um, but what is impressive <laughs> and just sort of a fun fact is, before we get into it is um, turns out uh, she was one of the Japanese school kids in Cabin in the Woods. Love that. Um, oh, nice. One of my favorite <laughs> movies. Um, so anyway, uh, back to to Janine in the show. I I did an, an amazing job. You're right. The subtlety of of what she is doing with Janine is really amazing. Um, mm-hmm. We were kind of hard on Janine in the first her first appearance in Claudia and the Phantom phone calls, um, and I think somewhat rightfully so. And I I think that that's important for the character to have like that sort of mean introduction so that we're primed as viewers, especially first time viewers who don't know these stories. When it's called Claudia and the mean Janine, you think you know exactly what you're getting. You're like, oh yeah, she was a total bitch in the mm-hmm. last one. Let's, let's really rip into her. And instead it is a, a total um, shift in how we view her. So I do want to take just a moment and, and talk a little bit about the the coding around the character of Janine. So there has been a lot of conversation and it's definitely something I noted. I know you have as well. We talked a little bit about this, that there is definitely some um, neurodivergent coding around the character of Janine. Um, I, and I, Kate, I know you, because we had this conversation, we are just not qualified um, in any way to really have a nuanced conversation about that. Um, I have very minimal uh, experience with autism-related um, advocacy or issues. So I don't want to, you know, white woman all over the the, the topic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to throw out there, if there is anybody who would like to talk to us about that, who has some experience or expertise around neurodivergency and talking specifically about the character, please contact us. We'd love to have a conversation with you. For sure. Um, the other reason I, I'm I'm a little uncom- hesitant to go there is I have a real problem with this sort of culture of um, armchair therapizing or armchair diagnosing people, um, characters on television shows. Uh, it happens with politicians quite a bit. Um, I am a huge mental health advocate. It's been a really important part of my life and a literal lifesaver in my life. And I, I always get am wary of people who take a sliver of information, extrapolate upon that a whole diagnosis. Um, so as far as the show goes, they have not given us any information about whether or not Janine is on the spectrum that has not been addressed to this point. Um, so I, I think that the the safest course of action for us is to not assume anything, but to acknowledge that, yeah, there's some definite um, signals there. There's definitely been some conversation. I, I did some, you know, Googling and, and research today to see if there's been um, some discourse around it. And while it's been noted, I haven't seen a ton um, of in-depth conversation around it. So I, I, I really I just want to say I'd be really interested to talk to someone mm-hmm. a little bit more in depth about it, about that. Um, but even leaving out the, the issue of whether or not um, Janine is on the spectrum, I think you had it. You hit the nail on the head when um, you, you sort of. Um, you you jokingly said the difference was artistic versus genius, but obviously those are not opposites in any way. The, I think the true opposite of um, Janine and Claudia is about their emotions. Like you said, mm-hmm. Claudia wears everything on her sleeve. You know, ex- you know exactly where you stand with Claudia at all times. And Janine is much more internal. And I absolutely – those are the types of conflicts that for me are the most interesting because – it's 
less, um, it's less mean. It's less petty. It's less like you're smart and you make me feel dumb. And it, and it's truly just about two people who genuinely care about each other. We see that throughout mm-hmm. this episode, um, that just don't necessarily know how to communicate with each other, how to, um, reach each other on their level. And I think that one of the reasons I am, I'm so team Janine uh, after this episode is I really truly believe that Janine was trying her best throughout the episode to find ways to connect with Claudia. Um, I noted right from the beginning. So uh, the, the trivial pursuit scene was a very, that was when I was like, I've, oof, I've been in this exact conversation, <laughs> but to Janine's brain. So what happens is um, they're playing trivial pursuit to Mimi wants Claudia to try to make Janine feel included Claudia is very clearly not on board from the jump. So she's already like sighing and kind of huffing about it. And Janine's trying. She Claudia gets a question about art and Janine is excited because she thinks that's going to make, you know, be a good opportunity for Claudia. And um, Claudia, it's about art history. And she's like, not, I'm not interested in art history. Art's about feeling and emotion. And she's not wrong because that's what art is for her, especially at that age. But for Janine – when she loves something, it is about researching it. It is about knowing all the facts and all the details. It's about knowing the history and all of those things. So they just fundamentally approach how what they love in a different way as well. So it makes total sense that they wouldn't be able to connect that with each other um, as much. And which is why the moment at the end when they do finally come together and find some common ground in bonding over um, Janine talking to Claudia about um, Mimi's experience at Manzanar and and what um, is going on with her recovery was in the hospital, uh, just the two of them, was just such a quietly beautiful moment of of these two very, very different people finding a way to connect so that they can take comfort in each other in what is easily the worst time in Claudia's life to this point. Mm-hmm. I also really appreciate the comparison of two moments between Janine and Claudia that are both related to Claudia's art. In the beginning of the episode, you know, Trevor's over to Claudia's house trying to help her choose which art pieces to um, put into this show. And it's a, I think it's a, you know, bubble gum and a Tootsie Pop and another piece of candy or something along those lines. And so she's looking at these three, you know, big illustrations with Trevor and, um, Janine comes in and asks if it's an homage, if, if this triptych is an homage to, um, pop art or if Claudia feels like she has something, um, unique to say about consumerism, you know, American consumerism that hasn't already been said. And Claudia reacts not well. You know, she's like, why are you judging my art? And really it, it's sort of looking at it from an outsider's perspective. It seems like that actually is Janine trying to engage with Claudia about her 100%. own art. And then the other exactly. moment that I love that is sort of a great juxtaposition to that is, again, the second time that they're at the hospital and Claudia is trying to talk to Mimi again and it's just not working. They're not connecting. Mimi is still trying to work through English again. Japanese is Mimi's first language. And as Janine explain, explains later, you know, people who have brain injuries like this usually revert back to their younger memories as a way to try to, you know, rebuild, refine who they are and find them their way back to their families. But Janine is the one that suggests maybe you should use your sketchbook and your drawings to try to engage with 
Mimi because, you know, using artistic pictures and representations like that are beneficial for people who have strokes and brain injuries like this to help try to facilitate communication. And through that, you know, Mimi is able to express herself looking at the pictures of things that Claudia has drawn based on the first interaction that she had, you know, where Mimi is talking about peaches and horses and houses. And that's how Janine is able to figure out what Mimi is thinking about and what remembering Manzanar and the life that she was living while she was there with her family in the internment camp. And it's just, I love that they gave Janine that opportunity to, you know, show the different ways that she can engage with Claudia and find a way for them to come together through it without it being something that Claudia reacts poorly to. So I feel like since we've sort of touched on it a little bit, maybe the next thing we can transition into talking about is, you know, sort of the meme of it all in this episode. You know, we, we get sort of two big explorations that maybe could be a little bit more in depth. <laughs> that might be something we can talk about, but yep. you know, we, we get Mimi with her stroke and being in the hospital and, you know, injuries and illnesses and recovery and, you know, optimism versus realism when it comes to recoveries and diagnoses. And then also related to Mimi is, you know, her history of, you know, being a first generation Japanese immigrant, you know, being in an internment camp, speaking Japanese is her first language. And, you know, everything that goes along with that and what her life was like and the fact that Claudia didn't even know that her own grandmother was in an internment camp and all of that. And I, I I don't even know where to start aside from, you know, throwing out those two things. But I mean, I, I like, I guess I can just sort of start with what I had started to say in my introduction sentences, but you know, on both of these points, these are both such important topics. And I think things that would be really, really great for young viewers to get a little bit more information on. And because this is only like a 24 episode, a 24 minute episode of a TV show, I feel like it did the story a disservice in that they didn't have enough time to really go too deep on either of those. And I'm disappointed that we didn't. I mean, I because of the medium and the way that they're presenting this, it, it really wasn't an option. And I'm not sure how they could have done either better. But I'm sad that they weren't able to because I do think that both of those storylines would have been really interesting had we had the opportunity to engage with either of them in any real detail. Yeah, I so I went. I've been going back and forth on the um, uh, how the inclusion of the internment camps um, and and how that was handled. And um, I, first of all, I just want to ask the question: How old were you? Do you remember when you first learned about internment camps? No, I, I mean, I it, put you on the spot. It, it was definitely. I mean, it was probably around the age that Claudia was. Like, I don't remember learning it any younger than that, for sure. I'm pretty sure I didn't learn about it till like high school or college. I don't think that it was taught at all in grade school. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I didn't know about it till, till much, much later mm-hmm. because I remember being old enough to be really surprised and be like, why have I not heard about this before? Mm-hmm. Um, and even then it was very much a like, two second conversation where it was, you know, it was a really rough time. Everybody was kind of doing the best they could and, and, you know, we maybe didn't handle things perfectly, but all's well that ends well. And even at the time, I remember being like, mm, really? We, that, that's the posture we're going to take on locking up people, uh, just because of their ethnicity. And, 
apparently we haven't learned too much um, in the intervening years. Yeah. But um, I think in similar to some of the conversation we had around um, the trans representation in last episode, there's a big part of me that's like, yes, I'm thrilled that they are at least getting this out there for young kids. And if yeah, they don't get to really get into it the way that I wish that they would to explore it. And, and, and you're right. I don't even know what I want that to look like. Um, but what I landed on is I think I'm hopeful that the inclusion of some discussion of it is going to hopefully prompt some kids to being like, wait, what happened? And start asking questions and want to learn more about it. Um, and, and if that is the case, if that, if it sparks some of that, then, um, then I think that that's a really, really good thing. Um, as far as the medical stuff goes, I couldn't help but tie it back to our conversation last week. And that was all I could think or last episode. That's all I could think about when we were in the hospital, um, especially when right away they get a incredibly sympathetic doctor who mm-hmm. shares. Uh, well, she's also Asian. I, I don't want to assume um, national origin. Um but there's some level of f- familiarity there. Um, and the doctor is very clearly impressed with Janine and that, that they, mm-hmm. you know, it's making everybody feel really good. Um, and then Mimi's recovery is so swift. Like she's back home and seemingly fine by the end of the episode. Yeah. That, um, I, I know that sort of happens in the book too, but the book covers a lot more time. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in, in the, the course of the episode, it feels so rushed. And I thought that there were starting to be some really good, really interesting conversation when Janine was trying to really, like you said, be realistic with with Claudia. And again, Claudia took that as her being mean or negative. And from Janine's perspective, she was really just trying to prepare Claudia. And mm-hmm. nothing she said is wrong. Mimi is a woman in her 80s. Recovery from strokes in the best of times is really, really difficult. Like, this is something we need to prepare ourselves for. And um, and then that sort of got the short shrift by her just sort of being she had, you know, had a little bit of a rough go a little uh, for, uh, you know, 10 minutes in the middle of the episode. But mm-hmm. all's well that ends well. Um, and so it's it's that same sort of attitude that um, that is disappointing, like we, we noted last last time. I think I think last episode I called it a, a fairy tale. And I think really the word I was looking more for is fantasy. Um, yeah, because fairy tales are a little uh, um, are kind of a different thing. I, I think that there is, are definitely super fantastical elements to the show, and I, but I think they're they're present in the book too. I I mean the fact that money is not an issue for any of these things, economic realities barely ever get brought up or talked about in any way. Um, you know, most problems have neat resolutions that can be summed up in a. Danny Tanner moment at the end of the book. And and I don't really think that there's anything inherently wrong with that. But I think we can, like we like we often talk about, as long as we're using some of that fantasy to, I don't know, push things along, I guess is the best way mm-hmm. to say it. Um, I'm mostly okay with that. And if, like I said, if if what all this episode does is introduce the concept that it inspires some kids to go learn more about it, um, then... Is that enough? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm certainly not qualified to make that judgment call, but uh, it definitely helps in in thinking about that when I when there are things that I'm like, oh, I wish that we got deeper into that. Um, I don't I don't even know what that would look like for a show aimed at, you know, 10 to 13 year olds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that that really is that we do keep coming back to that. But it's it's hard because 
even in the books, we keep saying it. We want it. We want more because we know that it could be more. But to what what standards can we hold this to? But since we want it, I, I mean, it it goes back and forth. I I mean, I think that the thing I'm more disappointed in between the two storylines because I think that they could have done a better job in within the sort of world of the show the way that we know it. I think the hospital storyline and Mimi's recovery could have been more realistic. You know, I because like when mm-hmm. we talked about the book, you know, Claudia doesn't go into the room the first time that they're at the hospital because she's scared once she sees Mimi. And I feel like here, her just being told that she can't go in because you're under 14, it sort of undercuts yeah. Claudia's learning throughout the book that we get there. And because it is such a compressed time period, it seems like it's a matter of days and Mimi is basically fine, which also sort of undercuts, even within the episode, what Janine is saying about recovery and likelihood of success and all of those sorts of things. And as much as Mimi in the books does recover significantly, um, you know, over the course of the books until you know, she passes away in the series. I, I feel like here, you know, she's just sort of stumbling over her words a little bit, but she looks great. She seems like she feels great. And because it seems like it's such a short time, it it makes it almost too, not almost, it makes it too unrealistic for me. And I feel like part of the reason of, you know, these books existing, this show existing is that, you know, modeling and learning experience for kids and, you know, showing a grandmother having a stroke, which is something that a lot of kids will experience, maybe not a lot, but, you know, there are kids that are watching this show who are going to have grandparents or other adults in their lives or even younger people in their lives because strokes are not solely <laughs> happening to, you know, 84-year-old women. I feel like it's going to be an unrealistic expectation because if this is the only you know, sort of experience that they've had with someone who've had who's had a stroke, even knowing that it's a TV show where, you know, things are bright and sunny and people get better. I think it's going to make it more difficult to have those realistic expectations if you have to encounter it in your real life. And I, I wish that there had been more of a – I wish they had taken more of that opportunity to make it be a little bit more realistic and, you know, maybe stretch out Mimi's recovery over a couple episodes, which – is difficult because I think the next episode is when they go to see city. And so Claudia is not even in the episode. Exactly. So Mimi wouldn't be in the episode. So again, I get it, but I also I'm disappointed that there's not going to be that opportunity for kids to learn from this show, the way that they maybe could learn from the books because there's the ability to, you know, go a little bit more in depth and have things take a little bit longer. Uh, well, I also, I also think in this case in particular, um, that was a conscious choice, um, because they wanted to include, um, the information about the internment camp rather than, you know, that could have been time focused on That's true. in the book where they talk about her being irritated and like how that was frustrating for Claudia and, and scary for her and, um, you know, some of those, um, markers that come with, with, uh, brain injury and um, brain issue recovery. Um, and, and they chose to give that that space to the discussion of, of Manzanar. And again, while I appreciate that inclusion, it does really, the more you t- say it, talk about it, it really does give that, that medical plotline such a short shrift. So yeah, once again, we're back to, oof, there's pros and cons, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I suppose is a 
the the reason we're doing this. If we had mm-hmm. just like easy cut and dried opinions about everything, this would be a very boring conversation. So um, exactly. Although I do feel strange not taking a stand on anything. <laughs> well, it just feels like it, but I'm not. Um, before we transition off of the Kishis completely, I do want to take a minute to rebring up the Claudia Kishi Club documentary because as I our conversation with Anna um, a couple of episodes ago was so interesting. Um, but she had a very different experience than the people in that mm-hmm. shared their stories in the documentary. And, and that's sort of what we talked about. Um, so I wanted to go back to it, especially I didn't get to, I realized I didn't say it when we were talking about it um, in that episode, but one of the things I loved so much about the documentary um, was how Sue Ding's uh, chose to do the framing device. It felt so Babysitter's Club to me with the not framing device, but like with the the visuals, how they um, mm-hmm. you know made it look like notebooks and and art and things were drawn in. It just felt so perfect to me. I just really loved that. Yeah. Well, and each segment was sort of like a chapter, like it was like it was a Babysitter's yes. Club book, which I yeah definitely love that too. So so cute. It really captured. It it, it felt like it could have been an episode of the show, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um. It just had that same tone and feeling that I get when I watch it. Um, and I also went and listened to the um, Asian Americana episode that Anna suggested to us mm-hmm. that had a lot of the same uh, people. And, and there were some really interesting – they, uh, they were talking about a lot of the same concepts um, that we sort of touched on. Uh, and some of them were a little bit more in – like a little bit more in depth because it was longer. You know, it's an hour and a half podcast versus a 17-minute um documentary. But mm-hmm. I think one of the things that I keep coming back to um, that I really find so fascinating about the the experience that so many of um, the commenters, the, the people involved in the documentary, the relationship that they have um, to Claudia and, and, and the podcast they extrapolated. And I can't remember who was talking. I, I apologize. Um, but someone was saying that um, the fact that Claudia was there, you didn't even have to like her. And that almost made it better because the, or you didn't have to relate to her. Sorry. You mm-hmm. didn't have to be like, um, I'm such a Claudia. Um, you, or you didn't feel forced into taking the only Asian role or the only other role or not being able to play, you know, Princess Leia because Princess Leia isn't Asian. Um, to be able to claim the cool one. Um, I was such a, it was such an aha moment for me because I never we we talked openly when we when we started this podcast how you and I both like identified with Claudia and wanted to be Claudia and that was our aspirational figure and I really underestimated how the fact that Claudia being an aspirational figure to everyone and not just um Asian girls trying to see themselves and being represented in some of the few places they were was so meaningful I love things like that that continue to open my eyes to experiences that I take for granted, things that I haven't fully interrogated for myself. Um, and that was that was a big one, really owning that um, some of that bullshit colorblind rhetoric that my upbringing tried to instill in me and that I am actively working to unlearn. Um, really, I'm disappointed how much that that closed me off from um, – being able to really explore that or be aware of of how important and impactful Claudia was um, at that time. But I, I don't know. Did, what did you think? Yeah, no, I really I loved that that was sort of the the one of the bigger takeaways was like Claudia was 
who everyone wanted to be. And she wasn't the character that, that because you're the Asian friend, you, you know, have to be Claudia when you're playing Babysitter's Club. Like everybody wants to be Claudia because Claudia is the best. You know, obviously not everyone wants to be Claudia, but like, you know, Claudia is, I think that was, I mean, and we've talked about this sort of generally, but it was really interesting to see, you know, all of these Asian American, um, people, I was going to say women, but there, there is at least one man, um, who participates and, you know, hearing them talk about what it was like to have, you know, to have the Asian character in something that they love not be, you know, sort of the, the cartoonish sidekick that is just sort of there for, you know, a sprinkling of color. And, you know, Claudia is a, an integral part of this and they get to see her, you know, see themselves reflected back to them. And I think one thing that I, I even wrote this down as I was taking notes, but, you know, someone in the, in the documentary said, you know, not seeing yourself in culture makes you feel like you're not normal or like you're broken or that you don't exist. And, you know, what is it like for them to, you know, perceive themselves when they see the world as not having people like them in it? And, yeah, it's obviously not something that I, growing up, had to necessarily deal with or think about. And obviously something that I am trying even more today and, you know, into the future to think about more. But, you know, seeing all of these people who had the same experience and what they went through and how they felt and how they feel now and what Claudia means to them, you know, because like Claudia means a lot to me. Claudia means a lot to you. And like, but to see what she means to them in these different ways, especially because most of the people that were participating in the documentary are creative in some way. You know, they mm-hmm. draw for graphic novels, they write novels. One of them is, um, you know, the, the producer of the Babysitter's Club TV show. And, you know, seeing all of them feel like Claudia gave them, you know, an example of being themselves. Like, you don't have to be the same as everyone else, whether you're Asian or not, you know, Claudia, because she got to be herself, it helped these people all see, I can be myself too. I I can be creative. I can be artistic. I can dress crazy and wild and be outrageous. And that's just who I am. And I can be excited and happy about that. And I don't need to worry about the fact that there's people that might not be like that. You know, everyone's different and I can be who I am. And I really, I really just love that. I do too. The other thing that I did really um, respond to is uh, something that we have been talking about um, as we go through, and that's how the books don't really interrogate Claudia's race at all. How um, it, she's definitely Asian. They they talk about her Japanese heritage uh, when they talk about Mimi. Um, but there's really, we, we've heard a couple of times, we know we're, we're coming up to a book that does you know, ha- tackle racism head on. But even then she's lumped in with Jesse. Um, mm-hmm. And that's really sort of the only interrogation we have of race and Claudia within the books. So I think it's really um, telling that, uh, especially since we have um, Asian American creators um, of the television series, that her race, um, the race of the Kishis in general is, is definitely much more, um, a focus, uh, as we can see in this episode, than than it was in the books. So I, I think that that's really one of the things that I love is how um, people take art that's meaningful to them and then push it forward and move um, move the goalpost. And so mm-hmm. I'm excited to see how 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 it's developed here. I can't wait in another 20 years when another um, 
iteration of the Babysitter's Club comes along because I have every belief that it will. I think these mm-hmm. books are going to stick around for a long time. Um, I can't wait to see how the conversations we're having around Claudia now are um, interrogated and and moved to the next goalpost. I just want to reiterate, if you haven't taken the time to watch Sue Ding's incredible documentary, The Claudia Kishi Club, it's only about 20 minutes. It's on Netflix. Do yourself a favor and check it out. I really highly recommend it. Yep. Seconded wholeheartedly. All right. So I think that we have... um, Oh, I do have one last thought on the Kishis before I change the subject to Marianne. And that is that whole family is so hot. It is disgusting. Um, <laughs> Accurate. I I mean, everybody on the show is very attractive. That's, uh, you know, television shows. But mm, Mr. Kishi is, whew, he is very good looking. And Janine is so pretty. Claudia is going to grow up to be a knockout. And um, Mrs. Kishi, she had that really beautiful moment with the doctor. Like, you can, uh, I just thought ugh, she I thought she was so lovely. I thought that scene was acted really beautifully. So mm-hmm. um, I just needed to needed to shout that out before we move off the Kishis completely. Because we haven't talked at all about our B-plot this episode, which is um, the Mary Ann um, makeover. Mary Ann's character development continues on. And this time we are um, where the girls are, not we. <laughs> this <laughs> time, we really want to be a part of the club, folks. In any case, uh, it, it continues on this this episode where Claudia is helping Mary Ann over overdo <laughs> technically I guess that's the result but redo <laughs> her room um and she goes a little overboard um which to be fair Mary Ann does not speak up like she in in fact I think it's really an interesting reaction because I don't think she realized how um uh, impactful that change mm-hmm. was going to be until she was standing in it and um the thing that really, really struck me about this plotline that I really loved is uh, that it how it was able to include both Christy and Dawn in that Marianne plotline. And, um, you know, we were pretty hard on Christy the last couple of episodes, deservedly so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and rightfully, we're, we're singing Dawn's praises for her ability to um, bring some outside perspective. And I loved that this week we got to see the importance of Christy's history with Marianne, that Mm -hmm. Christy could take one look at Marianne's face and know exactly, oh, she's not really okay with this. But she also knew not to say anything in the moment. She then, um, she didn't push the issue. She let Marianne bring it up again. And only when Marianne brought it up and seemed less than enthusiastic did she um, talk about it. And even then she phrased it as a question, you know. Are you excited about your room? Not Mm -hmm. why are you letting her do this the way that Christy sometimes comes in and takes over and tries to manage Marianne's life for her. Um, I thought she did a a really nice job of letting Marianne get to um, the heart of the issue herself and was only able to do that because she knew her so well, because she can read Marianne like a book, like the Mm -hmm. way that you were talking about people – if people ask if you are a robot or you have feelings, that just, oh, my God, that just hurts my heart because I see how much emotion you have, like, every time we talk. And mm-hmm. um, I, I – I, so that was really resonant for me um, watching that that relationship and even beyond the Christy and Marianne of it all, the the wonderful feeling of having that person who just knows you, who who – sometimes knows you better than you know yourself and can ask the question that you might be afraid to ask. So I thought that was really, really lovely. Yeah, no, I really love that. I also love the fact that Christy and Dawn, you know, they had their their bonding moments at the end of the last episode. 
And obviously they're not, you know, BFFs the way that either of them is with Marianne, but I felt like they had some really nice moments too. Dawn was there sort of backing Christy up when she was asking Marianne about her room and, you know, sort of getting to the heart of that. And then, you know, both of them go with Marianne to, you know, look in the attic and see if they can find some things to, you know, bring back into her room to make it feel more like home. And, you know, they find the picture of, uh, Marianne's mom is a baby with the Humpty Dumpty picture in the background and it sort of realized like that's why she feels this connection to that picture and that's sort of the biggest thing that I think she realizes that after the fact is like that's that makes it feel like home you know like that's what she explains is like she likes the room but it just doesn't feel like home and you know bringing back some of those personal touches the Humpty Dumpty picture in particular really makes it feel like home again and it's because of that connection to her mom that you know we get to and I think that I really loved the fact that Dawn and Christy were both there for her in the ways that they could be because like you said Dawn doesn't have that history with Marianne she couldn't tell that Marianne maybe wasn't totally enthused with the room once it was fully redecorated by Claudia, but she was there to be supportive and, you know, help her figure out her next steps. And it was just really nice to see the three of those girls in particular sort of spending time together without there being any, you know, jealousy or sniping or, you know, trying to one up the other one or, you know, make somebody else jealous by excluding them. And I, it's always hard when there's a group of three friends like that, and I appreciate the times when <laughs> when there's not that drama because when there's a group of three friends, whether it's you know Christy, Marianne, and um, Don, or anyone in real life, like there there's times when all three of you love each other, everything's perfect, you know. And I feel like in pop culture, it gets a little bit focusy on. When there's, you know, someone feeling left out. And I love when there's an opportunity mm-hmm. for everyone to feel included and have it be this friendship of three girls and none of that, you know, bullshit gets pulled into it. And I love it. <laughs> yep. So, so cute. Um, well, I have a number of like stray thoughts that don't really fit in anywhere. Do you have anything else to add to the Marianne plot before we just start sharing some of our observations? Um, not really. I, although as like a sub subplot, Stacy taking on the challenge of <laughs> sprucing up Richard <laughs> was adorable. That is exactly what I was going to talk about. So the Queer Eye homage was so perfect. And this time through, because I wasn't caught by surprise by it and wasn't just like, oh my God, this is amazing. I had the thought, would Stacy really be that comfortable, like, getting that up in a business of a person she just met who is known to be super strict and stuffy? <laughs> like, she is very pushy with Richard. Um, and I was like, ooh, that girl is very confident. I feel like it's been several months because in the last episode they were wearing, like, winter stuff and there was snow. So Stacy has been around a while. Even still, though. Yeah, Even I mean, still, I, I definitely I agree. At that age. <laughs> would never be that pushy with a parent of a friend of mine. I wouldn't do that now. <laughs> no. I'd be like, oh, well, that's weird. I think it it was the point when she started trying to like comb his hair for him. That's yes. I think where it yes, like that's went exactly. over the line. But f- up until then I could see like cuz Richard is sort of easily pushed over by <laughs> Claudia and Stacy. They're like, "Hi, we're here to help." And he was sort of like, "Uh, okay, yes. fine." 
You know, like he's instantly just I wrote like that. He was like looking like he was going to be really resist and then gave up. So he folded like a cheap suit, like just so fast. Well, the funny thing in Claudia's voiceover, Richard wasn't a bad guy. He just needed to be worn down to death. And it's like, yeah, yes. I could see that. Like I, those girls. And I think part of it is like he's dealt with them enough that he knows where this is going to go and he's not going to win. And that's why he's just like, OK, let, let's do this. Like, I don't want to have yep. this whole conversation and have it end up in the same place. Like, I'm, a, I'm an attorney. My time is, you know, billable when I'm working. So, I mean, I I have that thought occasionally is like if I were working right now, I would be billing this time and I wouldn't be getting the money. My firm would be getting the money. But like <laughs> it's it's really hard when your job requires you to keep track of tenth of an hour or quarter of an hour and you know how much your billable rate is. So you know exactly how much six minutes of your life is worth in terms of someone else getting value from you. And and I feel like that's where Richard was in that moment is like, I know how much my time is worth. And I'm, I need to sort of say this with, uh, you know, sort of back myself up because I sound like an asshole. Everyone's time is worth something. And I don't know that I, you people, don't sound like an asshole. you know, but like, me saying, like, I'm an attorney. My time is worth something. Like, everybody's time is worth something. It's just more obvious to attorneys because they know that they have to keep track of that time. And there's other jobs where you have to do that, too, whether it's, you know, architecture or, you know, contractors and that sort of thing. But when you have to keep track all the time, every day, it gets sort of drilled into you. <laughs> so it's harder to forget that your time has value. But everyone, your time is worth something. Don't let anyone waste your time. I agree. I think that he was so funny. He was like, um, I, I took it to him as be like when she said worn down to death and then he folded so easily. Mm -hmm. I took it as he knows exactly where this is going to end up. So like you said, why, why spend the time fighting it? Let just give in and get this over with more quickly. Exactly. Um, and I mean, we're uh, broken records on this front, but Mark. Evan Jackson is the best. I just love him so much. Um, love him. He was so great and so great in that part. One of my other favorite scenes of the whole episode, go figure, um, is the scene of him and Edie, Liz, mm -hmm. um, in the kitchen. Um, so, such a perfect scene. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, I really do love Watson. And, um, you know, we know where Richard's romantic life is heading but i would be into this opposites attract sort of like you know it felt very like uh bantery and uh the back and forth that and that's always the type of relationships that i'm into the slightly antagonistic problematic <laughs> not healthy <laughs> well, the, ones you, t you totally skipped over when they all show up at claudia's house and you know edie's bringing pizza because that's what she does and richard yes. comes in and says no one called us but we have casseroles and edie says what kind of casserole and he says healthy what kind of pizza and you you know and we've talked about this before but like you know that they have such a history they've lived across the street from mm -hmm. each other since before their children were even born, you know that they've had a long-term relationship, especially since Marianne and Christy are best friends. Like they, it's like a, you know, it's a, an old book that's just like comfortable, you know, like the story's been going on forever. Yep. They just are so well worn and in their respective roles with each other. And like the way that they portray them on the show is just perfect. You, you can just tell, like they have this rapport because they've known each other forever. And, you know, Richard keeps his shirt tucked in very tight and Edie is sort of, you know, all over the place, but they make it work because their daughters love each other. I just, I thought it was so cute. I loved mm -hmm. it. 
Um, I also loved how Sam um, fully called Chrissy on her faux feminist bullshit. Yes, that like love that. I love that the just the really explicit call out that yeah, you're couching your problems with Watson in feminism, and mm-hmm. those are valid points, but that's not actually what your problem is. And um, you trying to claim that that's what's really going on is horseshit. Um, and and in in the loving way that only a big brother can. I thought that was really perfect. Mm-hmm. And I, I do like Stacy's continued gushing over him, especially I like um, Christie's exasperated, like, come on. But also she kind of gets it. Like, um, I have two brothers who are both younger than me, and both of them are very conventionally attractive. So I have spent a lot of time in my life with knowing people who've been like, your brothers are so cute. And I'm like, oh, geez. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, in any case, um, I, I very much felt Christie's like eye roll at Stacy's mm-hmm. swooning over Sam. For sure. Anything else that's jumped out at you that you want to make sure we touch on? Um, I think the only other thing is early in the episode after Janine interrupts Claudia with Trevor and yes. Jan- Claudia okay, says, I knew it. Janine is a life ruiner. She literally ruins lives. And I'm like, ruin, love that yes. Mean Girls quote reference, like tied it back. It's like, that's perfect. Especially in an episode, Claudia and the mean Janine. It was just, I mean, it's a little on the nose, but it was just too perfect. Like It was perfect. It, it, it's, it was just on the right side, like it, mm-hmm. of, um, of the same way the clueless joke, um, in the, in the first episode. Just perfect. Yeah. Uh, perfectly calibrated. Um, yeah, I love that. Um, I like that they called the, um, painting a horcrux. <laughs> yeah. Cause it did look a little creepy. Um, I also I just need to call out that um since Marianne has been able to change her hair, she has clearly gotten some lessons because her hair game is on point. Her yes. edges in particular are incredible. Speaking of hair, um, as you are very well aware, I have a shit ton of it, is I believe the technical term, and it's um very big and unruly. Uh in fact that's I'm rewatching Lost and that's all I can think of. <laughs> so I was like, I lived on a tropical island. Your hair would not look this good. Um <laughs> and unrealistic. In any case. Yes. Unrealistic expectations about hair. Disney is just the tip of the iceberg. Um but in any case, Claudia is wearing an incredible hair clip at the end. And I was so excited to see it because as I mentioned, I think I've talked about it on the podcast before. When I was consulting, I did a project on the island of Saipan and I lived there for a number of months. And while I was there, I would was able to travel to Asia a bit and found hair clips like that. And they are the only clips that hold all of my thick hair and keep it up on my head. And I'm obsessed with them. I look for them everywhere. I have not been able to find them. So when oh, Claudia no. was wearing one, I was like, oh, that's my hair thing. Like, I need to find more. <laughs> I got more. so excited. So yes. So that was my big fashion moment. And of course, she was uh, re-wearing my favorite watermelon earrings. I, of course, saw that. Of um, course. But Miss Miss Fashion Maven, are there any other outfits of note, especially in a Claudia episode, I'm sure? Oh, there are. So the first two are from the exact same scene when um, Claudia and Stacey go over to Marianne's house to, you know, wear Richard down to death about his room, about Marianne's room and about his style. Um, They are both wearing, you know, their jackets because it's winter still. Claudia is wearing her leopard fur jacket that I loved from the last episode, but she's wearing them with the gold platform combat boots, which is just an even better combination Mm. than just either of them separately. And then at the same time, Stacey is wearing like an oversized gray wool overcoat and a gray beret that are coordinated and they match. And underneath the jacket, she has this chunky pink turtleneck sweater that the colors just like 
complement each other so well. And the color on um, the, the pink against Stacy's, you know, fair skin and blonde hair, like it just looks great. And I always love a beret. And those two together, like like we've talked about, you know, Claudia is runway, Stacy is ready to wear, and like them together in that moment just sort of like epitomizes that even more. And it's just, it was just great. I loved it. <laughs> I was very excited about the beret moment as someone who is a huge hat aficionado and spent many years around that age trying to pull off a beret with, um, well, we'll call it mixed success. <laughs> <laughs> mixed. Um, also love, and I think this was even, so it's a Dawn outfit, which I think this might even be the first Dawn outfit, aside from her necklace that we're talking about, which is fair because she's only been in two episodes. But, um, I think this is the same outfit that was in the promo pictures that we got before the, um, series actually came out, but she's wearing a camo jacket, cropped red, um, pants and platform docks. And, you know, she's Mm -hmm. got her hair up and a couple little like pigtails, but mostly down. And it's just... It's such a cool look. And I think we've talked about the fact that Dawn is just sort of like, she's got a cool vibe. And as much as we've always talked about California casual doesn't actually mean anything, like seeing Dawn in this show is like what I always feel like I hoped Dawn would be, even though I always thought that casual, California casual meant nothing. Um, this is what I think it is. It's like California casual with an edge and it, she looks great in it. She looks like she's having a good time and like she cares about fashion, but not as much as Claudia and Stacey. And it's like the perfect sort of encapsulation of all of that in one outfit. That outfit in particular really stood out for me because I had a bit of an aha moment about the necklace, our conversation about it. And I realized, um, because I was like, oh, this is a very like alternative grungy kind of look. And that, um, stood out to me because I had just been having a little bit of a Pearl Jam, um, nineties alternative moment myself when I remember I was incredibly grunge back in that time. And then, um, well, we both lived through our punk phases together. Um, and now I that necklace fits exactly in with my style. So um, I take back some of my judgment on how that doesn't really <laughs> mesh because I'm going to say it as an evolution of her style because I definitely – I was, while I never was as cool as Dawn, <laughs> let me be very <laughs> clear about that um, – I tried really hard. <laughs> and um so I'm like, okay, okay, I'll I can I can buy that now. Um it's just her it's like you said, it's her like grown up piece or it's her mm-hmm. um I, I do love the headcanon that it's from her dad and that's why she yeah. has it. I think that's really cool. I love that one. Yeah. So any other final club business? Nope, I think it's time for you to take us home. Tell the people where to find us. <laughs> well, everyone can find us on Instagram and Twitter at GenerationBSC, and you can also email us at GenerationBSC at gmail.com. So with that, I'm Kate Vlasic. And I'm Lauren Hunter. And this emergency meeting Netflix episode of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to your